T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Hey, good Sunday morning to you. Sunday morning, I always do it. It is 7.08. It is Sunday evening. My name is Susie Jones, filling in for Geraldine Steele and a texture already writing a note this morning. Where is Geraldine? So we want to let folks know she is a little under the weather and she will be returning. I texted her the other day and she said, oh, I'm so glad you reached out. She said, let's have lunch. I said, okay. So she's on the mend. On the mend, a little bit of a hiatus at at the moment. So uh, we are wishing Geraldine well. That is absolutely right. And I will fill her shoes tonight, and I am super grateful to be here. Wonderful night. I was just walking back, Jonathan, in the snow from the Target Center where the Iowa Hawkeyes women's team, Big Ten Took on Ohio State Tarpons, right? No, no. Uh, yesterday was Mar- the Maryland Terrapins. It's the Ohio State Buckeyes. Buckeyes, sorry. Thank you. Um, and the final score was 100,000 to 20. No. <laughs> <laughs> it feels that way. But it, it really was, does. It was so fun to watch. The Iowa beat Ohio State in fine form. I think the total was 100 and. It- it was one hundred five to seventy two. Yes, and to be honest, the game wasn't even that close. No, and I'm and it that's thirty three points. That's the thirty three point beat down. Beat and, down, and the game wasn't even that close. Well, it was fun. It was packed. The Target Center Big Ten tournament had the record number crowd for a Big Ten game inside Target Center. So we're we're so happy that came, people came out to celebrate. Uh, the women, the young women who are just outstanding stars. We've got a couple of players from Minnesota on that team, and we'll get into that game and how important it is to have tournaments like that in the city and in the state of Minnesota coming up a little later on in the program. But I want to invite to the program right now a woman who has a daughter that is an incredible athlete, and that's not why I invited her on, but as long as we're talking about incredible young women athletes, I must say hi to Mary Lehammer. How are you? Hi, Suze. I'm great. How are you? Well, it was so fun at Target Center tonight, and I know Bayless is a superstar soccer player, and it's really inspiring to see young women, so many young girls at the game tonight, just uh, enthralled with their athleticism. 
Yeah, and the Minnesota fans. I just love how our fans have shown up for, you know, Women's Final Four last year, our new pre-professional soccer, selling out, leading the nation in uh, turnout there for Minnesota Aurora. So it's just been so fun to see Minnesota show for the women. Yeah, I know it. I know it. Well, let's talk a little politics. Of course, Mary Hammer is with Twin Cities Public Television. And during the session, every Wednesday night, on Twin Cities Public Television. She hosts a program dedicated to keeping us all up to date on what's happening in St. Paul with the legislature. Are we like eight weeks now away from the end or how close to the end are we? is it like eight months? Because I believe they've done about eight months of work in eight weeks. Yeah, we're really just over two months in. And it is true to provide context because I've been around forever, been there with the public television for 25 years, but uh, hanging around with my dad, former AP reporter, the two of us about a half century up there. Wow. And we both agree this is the busiest pace ever. Mm. Major, major bills. We're in double digit bill signings and not little things, major, historic, monumental policy changes right out of the gate in the first two months. Right. And then just last week was uh, restoring a felon's right to vote. That was very emotional and uh, a lot of long hours of discussion on in both chambers. Um, But in the end, it was signed. What do you make of is it really the Democrats just saying we're going to do whatever we want because we can? And will it slow down when they start crunching numbers and have to come up with their targets for actually creating a two-year budget? You know, I think out of the gate, it's been incredibly busy policy-wise for Democrats who are running the table now. They have the trifecta, full control of state government. And a lot of these things, like you mentioned, the the restoration of voting rights for released felons, that's been decades in the making. So a lot of this, Democrats would say, just as a backlog of things they've wanted to do for a long time and they're going to do while they have control. So kind of that breakneck pace on policy. But as you mentioned, it has to slow down. And I think the marker that we hit last week with what's called the February budget forecast, when we found out lawmakers still have $17.5 billion to spend, and they have to balance the budget. We're not the federal government. Minnesota has to deliver a balanced budget or government shuts down. So they do have kind of the slow slog of that budget work now for rest of session, I think. Mary Lahammer, our guest, Twin Cities Public Television, talking politics on this Sunday night. Let's talk about what's left, some of the big things that have not passed yet. I would ask you uh, your thoughts on the passage of recreational adult use marijuana. Um, If you were a betting woman, would you think that would actually get done this session? I think so, but the question mark is really the state Senate. The House has already passed it. The House has heard the bill in previous years. You know, it's going through a very long committee process, but the question mark is certainly the Senate. The Senate has traditionally been a little more conservative on social issues. The Senate hasn't had hearings in the past. Under Republican control, they didn't hear the marijuana legalization bill. And so they've been very deliberate and methodical that this is going to go through just about every committee imaginable as These lawmakers who have been there and haven't heard it, but also just this plethora of new members. The other historic part of session is we have the most new members, freshman lawmakers, basically my whole lifetime since the early 70s. So a huge new class who wants to learn about what this means, unintended consequences, 
And Democrats have that very slim margin in the state Senate. They just have a one vote majority. So they're being careful on this one. It's interesting because, you know, the governor has said he'd sign it and Jesse Ventura has been uh, giving testimony about it and that it was really going to be a lock in, a, a for sure. And and as you say, we'll see. I know how many it has quite a few more ses- committees to get through Senate. I'm it does. Sure. Yeah. And it's working its way through the House. I mean, we're we're in double digit committee stops, I think, in both chambers. It, mm. They're being really thorough on this one. This is this is a big change. And there are some other states to look to. There's a lot of references to what Colorado has done, for instance, in measuring impairment. That's what we saw in public safety committees last week is trying to figure out how, you know, it's not like alcohol where you can blow a, a number trying to figure out what the, you know, that standard for impairment would be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What else strikes you? Obviously, the busyness, the how many bills have been signed Mm -hmm. and passed uh, and what's left. Sports betting, is that that's still on the docket? Definitely is. And, you know, if you talk to lawmakers, they say that is a top tier issue. That's Mm. something average Minnesotans, non-political junkies really care about sports betting. Almost every lawmaker you talk to says, that's the one I hear about. That's the one normal people like care about, call their lawmakers. They want it. Uh, Representative Zach Stevenson does have the compromise bill, what's perceived as a compromise bill, because the state's Indian tribes are on board and it would keep it exclusive and not have the tracks in it. But not all Democrats are on board. And the question again in that Senate with that really close, close margin is if all the Democrats don't vote, can they get some Republicans on? And so far, Republicans have said without the tracks in, they're not in. So that's not a slam dunk, but I I wouldn't rule it out. Anything else of note before we let you go here on this Sunday evening? Uh, uh, Oh, I know I want to ask you about. Governor Walls is going to have a colonoscopy tomorrow. And, or I think it's tomorrow. Yep. And he hands power over. It is tomorrow, tomorrow at 1 p.m. I think we, you know, we sometimes know a little too much about our governor's <laughs> personal lives. We know he goes under at 1 p.m. tomorrow and the Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan will officially be acting governor at that moment. We know that. And we'll also be watching the bonding bill. That's a big deal. That's the one where Democrats need Republicans. They have to build a supermajority. That's on the House floor tomorrow. We'll see if they can get that 60 percent of the votes. Well, very good. We appreciate your time, Mary. Thanks for popping on. It's always a joy. Of course. All right, Mary Lambert. Anything for you. Right. Okay. <laughs> we'll check, check them out on Twin Cities Public Television Almanac on Friday nights, Almanac at the Capitol Wednesday nights on Twin Cities Public Television. It is 18 minutes now past 7 o'clock. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It is 7.20 on a Sunday morning, just about 7.21. I'm Susie Jones in for Geraldine Steele tonight. Well, as we live in an age of heightened political tension, what we say seems to be scrutinized on a much larger scale. But how has our language evolved over time, and what should we know to evolve with it? Today is the start of National Words Matter Week. So we thought it might be good to dive into the backstory of the words and the phrases that we use. To help us out in that, we welcome University of Minnesota linguistics professor and Anatoly Lieberman to talk about this. He joins us on the John Schuster Colwell Banker Hotline. Hello, Anatoly. I hope I've said your name correctly. Yes, you did. And I'm very pleased that you did not mispronounce it the way most people do. Yes, Anatoly Lieberman. That's quite correct. And is it is it Italian? What's the... the... Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, I, uh, this is a... Well, let us put it this way. I, we came uh, to the United States from the Soviet Union ah. very many years ago. So the name, the first name is Russian, and the na- and the and the and Lieberman is uh, is Jewish. So there is absolutely nothing Italian about it. Okay. <laughs> well, good to know. We'll get that. We'll get that out of the way right away. So talk about National Words Matter Week. What is the idea behind it? Obviously, we talked about the words that have come and gone in our in our language. Um, why is this important to people? Well, I think that people use words and very often misuse them or abuse them even, uh, so that it's very important for people to know what they say and to guard their language, not in the sense of policing one's language, but of saying things properly. And also there is a historical aspect here, uh, words change dramatically. They meant one thing in the past and another thing today. Uh, so I'm very happy that there is such a week. I think there should be 52 or 53 <laughs> weeks about words in a year. Yes. Well, it's interesting because most of us think when you say something and in your head you think, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. Or you think maybe you could have expressed it in a different way. Yes, you're quite right. And I don't... You're quite right. We we should always guard uh, our words, not in the sense of uh, being always over-careful, but you are right in principle. Right. But it, it is challenging in different times that we live in. So, for example, I was just talking about this this evening. I went to a basketball game, and someone called someone, uh, as they were saying goodbye, goodbye, ladies, L-A-D-I-E-S, ladies. Now, that rubs some women wrong these days, whereas in the 1950s, to be called a lady was quite acceptable, would you say? As an example. That's absolutely right. Right. And uh, the word lady, I think, has gone out of use practically everywhere in the English-speaking world, uh, except perhaps in the phrase uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a set phrase and doesn't offend anyone. And it's especially curious 
how those words, words which deal with men, women, children, and so on, change their meanings and from neutral to offensive or from neutral to uh, good and praiseworthy words. And as for someone being offended, well, so many people take offense too easily. Uh, there is, of course, nothing wrong with the word lady. But do you know what happened to this word? The word, once upon a time, uh, meant the keeper of bread, approximately. Uh, and that was the mistress of the, of the house. Uh, then it became an honorary title. Then it became a neutral word. And now it's a word that some women don't like. Mm. Yeah, it was royal in England, right? Lady Mary, Lady Diana, Lady... Kate, yes, of course. You know, exactly. And, and, the, and the famous movie Lady Hamilton, right. of course. Right, right. I think it's interesting, too, Professor, in that I have young children, not young, 27 and 29, and their use of the English language is astonishing sometimes because they will call me, I'm their mom, they'll call me dude. <laughs> dude, well, yes, of course. <laughs> Of course, that's a famous word, uh, which appeared in the... It's in, in general, it's an American word. Mm. Uh, dude was coined uh, in the United States, and uh, it's known exactly when it appeared in newspapers, but nobody knows for sure uh, what it means. That is, no, no, I mean, nobody knows for sure what its origin is. Everybody ah. knows what it means, of course, because it means nothing. It means everything. <laughs> and since it means everything, it means nothing. That's why I said nobody knows what it means. Um, uh, you can call anyone dude, and uh, the same thing happened to guy, uh, which uh, was first used only about men. Then you can say guys, hello guys, to a group of, of young women, and that is quite normal. And dude, the origin of the word dude is unknown, but anyone is dude. Uh, you walk into a, a restaurant and they say, hi, dude, where do you want to sit? <laughs> we are talking about National Words Matter Week, and we're happy to have with us on our news line this morning or this after this evening, a uh, professor of the University of Minnesota professor, Anatoly Lieberman, uh, he is a linguistics professor. I find language absolutely fascinating, Professor. I really, really do. Just its origins and dialect and things of that nature. Does anything worry you about language, particularly in the United States, with the onslaught of texting and abbreviations and LOL and, you know, all the different ways that people have kind of butchered words? Uh well, that depends, of course, uh, on how you treat language. Uh, I'm not worried because uh, I belong to my generation and younger people belong to their generation. And I don't know to what extent you realize it, but, but um, our children, our grandchildren, uh, do not understand the slang of the 50s. And uh, you have to know those words in order to understand them. As to all those abbreviations like LOL and so on, I'm centuries behind that vocabulary, uh, so I know only the most important ones of them, those that everybody knows, like your LOL, which, which, you, which you have just, just used. <laughs> Abbreviations don't worry me. Uh, I think if there is something in language that worries me, it's the use of hackneyed words, of cliches. Uh, when when pe people use the same words again and again, and they stop meaning uh, anything. Uh, these cliches uh, 
word, these are the words that most people dislike. But you read newspapers or you listen to a, to a TV show and you constantly hear, this, uh, hear the same things. And I'll give you only one example because our time is short. Uh, whenever some people meet and begin to discuss something, I constantly uh, read that they hunkered down. Now, why should people be constantly hunkering down? Uh, it's a cliche, which means absolutely nothing to me. That means that perhaps in some seclusion they dis discuss world-important questions, but it's nothing. It's, it's a cliche, hackneyed words. And when you use hackneyed words all the time, your brain begins to produce hackneyed thoughts. So that is what uh, really and truly uh, infuriates me when I, when I hear these things. Well, and of course, the overuse of swear words, uh, when words which were unpronounceable only 50 years ago are now the most usual ones, even though you on the radio and everywhere will have dot, 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 but everybody knows what is between those dot, dot, dot. <laughs> so yes, there are things which irritate me, but it's a a torrent, and it's very hard to defend oneself when this torrent sweeps you away. One of my least favorite words that people choose to say in a sentence are irregardless. Well, that is a famous example, and that is not so dangerous, because that's simply illiterate. And you can uh, correct this person uh, and say, well, listen, uh, uh, regardless already have this, the suffix which you need. Uh, but of course those people also know the word irresponsible or irrelevant or irreverent, and then they think that regardless is not sufficient for its meaning. So let's add another, another suffix. Let it be irregardless. What irritates me more than irregardless, which is a joke, really, is the combination very unique. Uh, I fight this combination in my students' papers, and I hear them from very well-educated people. Now, unique means one of a kind. There is nothing like that in the world. It's unique. It cannot be very unique, just as there cannot be anything that is uniquer than something else. So, yes, there are things which editors fight and which uh, many people fight. It's sometimes a losing fight. If everybody begins to say irregardless, 200 years later, perhaps irregardless will be fine. Uh, we won't live there, and that's good. I'm glad that I won't hear irregardless uh, as an accepted word. Well, thank you for coming on. It's been delightful. I could talk on and on about this. This is obviously my business to choose words when I am writing a news story in the newsroom. And they do matter. How you choose to say something can really mean something or have an intonation to it based on what word you choose to use. So you try. I try to stay neutral, but sometimes even that I'll read and go, well, that sounds a little, and I'll change the word. So, Of course, you're a professional. That's why it's so very important uh, in your life to choose the right word at the right moment and to be uh, understood rather than being misunderstood. Uh, I'm a lecturer and a professor, so I'm very much on your side. <laughs> well, have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much for inviting me. Okay, good night. 
And that is Anatoly Lieberman, a professor of linguistics at the University of Minnesota, talking about Words Matter Week, National Words Matter. Reminding listeners, at any point you can jump in here, 651-461-9226. That's the text line. If you're listening and have a thought, you want to pop on, a texter just wrote, Clark from Edina. Hi, Clark. What about the overuse of the word like in one sentence? That is bothersome. Like I'm trying to tell you, Jonathan, like it's time to, for us to break. Like we have to do weather, right? So like. I did not approve this comedy sketch. I did not approve it at the end of this segment. That's I'm just letting you know that right now. Fine. Jimmy Erickson would tell you that I use the, I say right too much. I lean on that word. So we are going to tell everybody a little more about the weather forecast coming up right after this. Hello, 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 hello. It is 7.38 on a Sunday night. My name is Susie Jones, and I am so excited to have Jack Rice on the air. Jack Rice, of course, a well-known Twin Cities defense attorney, also all over the place on various national television shows as well, talking about all things related to the court. So what I thought is that because South Carolina power attorney Alec Murdo was convicted of murdering his wife and youngest son. We would talk about that. And what I did, Jack, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you, Susie. Okay. So here's what I did. I thought, well, I'm going to read up on this. So then I'm sitting on my living room couch and I see on Netflix, oh, there's a documentary, little four-parter. You're darn right there is. So I, so I watched it. And I'm like, what am I watching? Because I thought it was about him, and here it's about his son Paul and this boat accident and killing this girl named Mallory and then the housekeeper. It only got to the end, you know, in part four. So this is a really twisty, turny kind of a story. So for people that don't know much, kind of in a, in a nutshell, best you can, tell me the story of Alex Murdo. What makes Alec Murdoch so amazing is this happened in the area of southern South Carolina in the hills. And so what you'll find is the district attorney for this entire region was Alec Murdoch's father and also his grandfather and also his great grandfather. This is a dynasty. These people have power like nobody in this region. And it's historical. It's generational. That's what grabs this. But what you also have is Alec Murdoch, who's also charged with stealing from his own law firm, his own family, historical law firm, Mm -hmm. in in the count of millions of dollars. You're also talking about somebody who is a drug addict and a thief and is stolen and is charged with more than 99 other counts. His son is potentially facing murder charges. At least that was the investigation. And in this case... He gets charged with murdering his other son and his wife. This is something that grabbed the entire nation even more than I thought it would. Yeah, because it has so many twists and turns. So, I mean, like you said, it's not just the murder trial of Paul and Maggie. You look at this story, like you said, the dynasty, and Paul Murdoch and the whole Murdoch clan was a troublemaker and got in trouble and drank too much and was in a terrible boating accident and someone died and nothing happened to him because everybody, you know, they called Murdoch, they called the grandpa before they called the police and he would fix it and make it go away. 
Well, and see, that's the problem. When you think about this idea, the idea of having privilege like this, where you can do and be just about anything you want, so long as you have the Murdoch name. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, the idea that you could potentially have somebody die because you were driving drunk, the idea that even potentially you could kill your own family members, his a housekeeper actually died under mysterious circumstances at the house as well. And the response was, oh, well, too bad, so sad, even though we find out subsequently that Alec Murdoch stole from her family, who was supposed to get all of this windfall because of that injury and death. He kept it. He stole it. That is also Alec Murdoch. Unbelievable. And then if that's not enough, what is the name of the young man that got hit by the car, allegedly, uh, by accident? Smith, was that his last name? Yes, but actually it gets weirder than that. We haven't even talked about the part where what happens is that after his family dies, there's there's no charges yet, then he actually pays another of his family to murder him so the surviving son, Paul, will actually get this uh, this inheritance. Oh my and so what you get is an attempted effort to kill yourself, suicide <laughs> or murder, in oh order God. to cash in on that. You add that on top of that, it's like an onion in reverse. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Interesting as well, the judge's response during the sentencing. I know you watched it. Um, what do you make of that? I think he was rather pointed in his remarks to Mr. Murdoch, right? Oh, my goodness. You have to understand. Here's one of the interesting aspects, uh, Susie, of this story to me, is that part of the difficulty they had in this case was that the the prosecutors, first of all, even making the decision, you have to understand how long it took for them to charge. They had no eyewitnesses. They had little to no forensics. They had no murder weapons. And they had to figure out how to convict one of the most powerful people in that part of the state with generations of support from a lot of people in the area who owed a lot to the Murdoch family. So you can imagine what happens when you're in trial for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. And when a jury comes back in an hour, that is astounding. When they came back and said, guilty, you killed your, your wife. You killed your son, as he called him, Paw Paw. He yeah. killed him, too. Amazing. 60 witnesses. That's a lot. Yeah. 60 <laughs> witnesses. I can, I, Susie, I can tell you, I've tried murder cases where there's dozens and dozens of witnesses. You have to understand how extraordinarily um, difficult these are for all of the people in the room working them. Because it's emotional. It's exhausting. It's difficult. And what you're trying to do is to provide a cohesive story to the jury. And you had two different stories. And by the way, uh, Alec Murdoch's attorneys, in particular his lead counsel, who's actually a state senator in South Carolina, is a, an accomplished criminal defense attorney. He's really, really something special. And their theory was that there were actually two shooters. And part of the problem was that it was called SLED. That's actually essentially the equivalent of the FBI for South Carolina in this region. They made so many mistakes. They, they screwed up 
so many things that every single angle that the defense could use, they did use. And the problem was that, it, but for a few things, this really, truly and honestly, could have gone a different direction. Wow. Do you think that they will hold Alec Murdoch or try him or for those other murders, the housekeeper and the young man in the roads, Mr. Smith? No, I, do, I don't. Oh. Here's what I think they will do. What they will do is they're going to try him on all of those other cases. Mm-hmm. Here's what makes this interesting is that is that because he was found guilty of the, the murders of the two, wife, son, mm-hmm. uh, he's serving life in prison. Right. And so that's already done. But there's a whole bunch of other uh, criminal cases, fraud cases, etc., against him as part of this defense. As part of his defense, he basically came in and acknowledged all of those other crimes. Uh-huh. So in other words, in many, many ways, even if he had been found not guilty, this is a guy who probably never would have seen the light of day regardless. Uh-huh. But here's one interesting angle, if you, if you don't sort of yeah. go with me for just a second. Sure, here, sure. Is this, as, as a criminal defense attorney, one of the things that happened in this case is that Alec Murdoch sat, sat down with the police officers at the time and those sled officers I was talking about, mm-hmm. not just once, not just twice, but ultimately four different times. And I can tell you this, and this is an interesting piece of it. If I were representing Alec Murdo, my response is, you don't talk to those officers even once. And I'll tell you what, if I had been able to try that case, and if this attorney had been, had been able to try that case without one statement from Alec Murdo, no joke, based upon the evidence that I saw, I think Alec Murdo would have walked. Wow. How about that? How about that? Well, it's a crazy story. And that Netflix four-part documentary is pretty interesting to just to sort of learn about the family and, as you said, the history of the family and its control that it had over that little South Carolina uh, town. So, so Jack Rice is on with us, Twin Cities defense attorney. We are going to take a quick break, Jack, but will you stay on because – Want to talk a little bit with the remaining couple of minutes about Alec Baldwin, the actor, and, and what's happening with that whole thing. And we'll do that right after this on WCCO. A little bit of snow out there. It is 752, 33 degrees. We have with us on our newsline Jack Rice, Twin Cities defense attorney. And we are talking on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline about Things happening in the courtroom around the country of interest. And we talked about Alec Baldwin as we went to break, so we're going to bring that up. Apparently there is a status hearing. Is that what's going on this week? And then recap kind of what's happening with that case. You bet. If we look at Alec Baldwin, this goes back to October of 2021 when a filmmaker was actually, uh, he was on a set of a movie called Rust. And what happened was one of the armorers, one of the assistant armors, handed him a gun, and he was apparently holding the gun, and for whatever reason, it went off, or he pulled the trigger, and somebody died on the set. The question is, is he was essentially charged with manslaughter along with the head armorer. Remember, the assistant armorer, the one who actually handed the weapon to Alec Baldwin, has already pled guilty to a lesser count. And Alec Baldwin was charged with two counts of essentially manslaughter. One, the manslaughter, the other with the use of a weapon. One of them, he faced up to five years in prison, the other up to 18 months. They dismissed. They realized they couldn't charge the five-year one. But that 18-month count 
still exists. And the prosecutor in this New Mexico case is getting ready and wants to go to trial. And at least at this point, says he wants to put Alec Baldwin in prison. What are the chances of that happening? Well, you know, Susie, it's a really interesting question because you can like Alec Baldwin, you can hate Alec Baldwin. But the question is this. When you have a set where you have an armorer on the set and the armorer says this, this prop is not a real gun or at least can't fire a real round, you hand that to an assistant armorer and the assistant armorer then takes that same weapon and said, this is not a gun, this is a prop and they can't fire around, you then hand it to an actor, and the actor uses that and kills somebody. The question is, is can that actor be held liable, accountable? But let me ask it a different way. Anybody who gets handed a gun has an obligation to handle it carefully and, and uh, protect everybody in the best way possible. I've, I've held just about every weapon known to man from my past lives, and what I can tell you is that if somebody hands me a weapon, the first thing I do is determine that it is what they say it is, that it's safe, that it's not uh, um, armed, that it's not loaded, and that it's not going to hurt anybody. And as far as I can tell, when you read any statute, there is no actor exception. There is no uh, chance to say, well, gosh, he was only on a set and he could depend upon other people. There is no exception for that. So it makes it really weird if you say, was this guy doing stupid, terrible things that resulted in the death of another? Or did he have the right to depend upon other people to do their job? Ultimately, that's going to be the question of the jury if they don't find a way to resolve this case short of that. I was going to say, doesn't he does he benefit from going to trial um, or does he benefit from a plea and just having it be done and out of the way? Well, I think it cuts both ways. I can tell you, I, I was I was at the jail in Ramsey County just yesterday, and people don't understand what it is to be in a place if you've never experienced this. I go through the front door. I go through a locked elevator they put me in. It goes to a different floor. I then go through another set of locked doors, another set of locked doors, another elevator that I don't control that some voice uh, a bodiless voice talks to me over a loudspeaker and sends me to another floor, to another locked room, to another locked room. That's how I got there. Understand what the risk is for somebody like an Alec Baldwin. So for him, the potential is, is a jury always can do whatever it is that they want. And you never know what that means. So there is always the risk. The alternative is if the prosecutor is looking for the conviction but doesn't care about the time, if you can get an agreement for no time, that might be worth taking. On the other hand, if what they say is you're going to do 18 months, what's the gamble? And remember, as a defense attorney, I'm always balancing that for clients. They make the ultimate decision. But my goal is to say, if we're going to go to trial, how do I go to trial and win? Yeah. The second alternative is how do I get the best possible option? And then I hand both to that, my client and say, you tell me what you want me to do. That's their job, not mine. Does it matter that it's Alec Baldwin? I mean, if you had John Smith on the street in St. Paul and someone and he was in a play at some theater in the Twin Cities and this happened, would that be this, the exact same thing? Or is there something to his star quality that changes this? Do you know, Susie, I love the question because the problem is, is it cuts both directions. I've seen situations like this where what you'll get is the logic that says nobody is above the law. 
The problem is, is if you look at how other people have been treated in similar circumstances, you might find that it may never have been charged, but for the fact that it's Alec Baldwin. Mm-hmm. And so you say, I'm, he's not going to be treated any differently, except for the fact that he's treated differently because he's Alec Baldwin. So you, you, you cut both directions because mm-hmm. we know that privilege does work. Privilege does matter. But in this case, does it help you? Or does it hurt you? Right, because does that prosecutor say, we're not giving this guy a break. He's a big Hollywood hoo-ha-ha, and he's just— I want to be the next governor of the state of New Mexico, right? (laughs) I mean, come on. you got to think about what drives everybody. And a lot of people have agendas here, and I'm good or bad, but there you have it. It might be the defense attorney who wants to be the the next uh, governor of New Mexico. That's the problem. Unbelievable. Well, two very interesting <laughs> cases, Jack. Thank you so much for coming on. I love talking to you, and uh, we'll we'll see you again at the Y sometime. All the best, my friend. All right, Jack Rice, Twin Cities defense attorney, with us on News Talk eight three zero W CCO, talking about the case against former South Carolina power attorney Murdaugh, who found guilty. Life in prison for him, Alec Murdoch, and Alex Baldwin remains to be seen which way the wind blows with that one. It is just about 8 o'clock on a Sunday night. We'll do some news, some weather, and back to the big show after that. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 